So when I was in college, I made my very first peanut butter and bacon sandwich. Listen, I know there's all kind of responses to that in the room. You cannot judge until you have tried it. The, the salty bacon and the gooey peanut butter, the toasted bread. Can you taste it yet? Defender Grill, if you're in here, special next month. I'm calling for it. But the sandwich is, is delicious. It's, it's glorious. And I remember the first time that I made it, it was incredible. I might even say that it was life-changing. And having it once would have been great. But I wanted more of it, and I've eaten it maybe every week since, maybe not that much, but a lot. I wanted more. I also remember the very first time that I kissed my wife. I, was a, I know, I was a Dort student, and, and the, I, I remember um, that it was awesome. And to be, to be honest, it was a little, probably a little more awkward than awesome. Uh, because every first kiss is a little strange, slightly off, and a touch gross. Uh, and honestly, it was probably my fault for that. Could you imagine kissing someone with this beard? It just, it gets messy. But it was b- beautiful and awesome nonetheless. And I did not just want one kiss. I wanted to kiss her more. And I still kiss her to this day. And we even have two kids. Too much? Both the sandwich and the kiss would have been incredible if it happened just one time. But in each case, I wanted more. And one of the deep hopes of this series is that you would have a longing created in yourself for more of the Holy Spirit. That you and us as a community would not just be content with the Spirit's work once at the beginning of our Christian life, but that we would long for him more every day after. That we would have more of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives and in our world. And as Aaron said so beautifully last week, that we would desire for heaven's possibilities to become earth's realities. So I ask, do you want more of the Holy Spirit today, tomorrow, and each day moving forward? And I hope the answer is yes. But it's also okay if it's yes, but I'm scared of what that might mean. Or yes, but I'm unsure if I even believe that or think it's possible. Or even, yes, but I'm uncomfortable in letting God in. That's probably all of us in this room. But here's the truth. Even in those yes buts, heaven's possibilities can become earth's realities when we open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our hearts. So how do we do that? How do we open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? That's the question we're going to deal with this morning and the question we're going to continue to address the rest of our series this semester. 
And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 1, the very beginning of the book. And at this point, Jesus has died, he has risen, he's ascended, and in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are longing for the Holy Spirit. They're waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit. And then this happens in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Listen, there is so much happening in those four verses. And if you read it, we probably want to ask, was there actual wind? How strong was the wind? What do tongues of fire even mean? What did they sound like? What did it look like? Did this happen? Or was this some emotional or ecstatic experience that the author was just trying to convey the truth of? And those are all fair questions and have a place. But I want to encourage us this morning to let the truth of this story have its way in us. To form and to shape us. And the anchoring truth of this event, the anchoring truth of Pentecost, is that this is the moment where the promise of the Father God's Holy Spirit that was manifest in Jesus is now given to the people of God. To you and to me. To his church. So let's let God's promise, his gift to us, his Holy Spirit form and shape and have his way in us. Let us be moved by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what happens next. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all the, these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues, in other languages. And it's important to note that on this day in Jerusalem, people from all around the world were there celebrating the Feast of Weeks. It was a celebration of harvesting their grain and their crop and they came to Jerusalem to give an offering to God. So all of these people heard their language spoken by someone. 
Acts 2.11 says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Have you heard about the mighty works of God before? Have you read about them in scripture or church history? Have you seen the mighty works of God with your own eyes or experienced them in your own heart in life? What is your response to the mighty works of God? Maybe particularly first, what, what is your response to the works of God when you see it happening in another person? Right? Maybe, maybe you, you see someone who heals or prophesies and speaks truth and encouragement. Maybe it's someone who prays in tongues or just has a deep prayer life for the nations in the world. How do you respond when someone is convicted from the word that is preached or angry about the injustice in our world? Or maybe he's just aware of the beauty and majesty of God. How do you respond to that? What about in you personally? When the Holy Spirit is moving and stirring and convicting your heart through prayer or scripture or singing or small group or reading or resting or delighting or whatever practice or rhythm... What is your response to God's mighty works in your own life? At Pentecost, there were two responses to God's mighty works. Listen, and this is verse 12 and 13. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. So the first response to God's mighty works at Pentecost is that his works were questioned. What does this mean? And this initial response is not necessarily a bad one. Discernment, to understand and judge something well, is a gift of the Spirit. For instance, before Gail and I, my wife, ever met, a student came up to her after praise and worship at Dort and looked at her and said, you are going to marry Sam Ashmore. Her response, who is Sam Ashmore? I like to think she knew who I was because she was so drawn in by me, but she didn't. She really didn't. Here's the point. If someone comes up to you after chapel today and says, you are going to marry someone you have never met, particularly if they attach the God card to it, Maybe you should ask, what does this mean, or simply not believe it at all. I realize my illustration may contradict itself because we are now married, but I think the truth still holds the same. I'm safe in saying that. The problem is when questioning the mighty works of God prevents obedience to God in our life. Because you see, simplicity requires obedience. And questioning at times can prevent obedience. Let me, let me try to give you an example. Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This command is quite simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. But now reflect with me for just a moment. Have you ever asked or thought something like this? Do I have to love my friend or roommate even if they betrayed my trust? 
Do I have to have patience with someone who never does the dishes? Anybody? I know. Or has some other annoying habit that drives you crazy? Do I have to respond gently and peacefully to a hurtful post or comment or email? Do I have to forgive that person who's caused such pain in my life? Do I have to be faithful to my word when no one else is? And listen, these questions and thoughts may be valid and good at first because they're honest. But if these questions lead us to refuse the fruits of the Spirit in our life, to refuse to love our neighbor as ourself, they're not good at all. As followers of Jesus, let's not use nuance or complexity or questioning as an excuse to refuse the mighty works of God or refuse the work of the Spirit in our life or in the lives of others. So the first response to God's Spirit, mighty works at Pentecost, is they were questioned. The second response is God's mighty works were mocked. Right? They said they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. And I wonder if at times our response to the work of the Spirit, and particularly other people's lives, is the same. Particularly with mighty works or experiences we've never heard of or experienced ourselves. And, and I think our mocking takes a couple of forms. I think, one, our mocking can sound like they're just crazy. I was, I was reminded recently at the, the panel on the Holy Spirit, one of our theology professors told a story that St. Catherine, who was a saint in the medieval period, um, at, at one point ate pus oozing from a woman, a leper, that she was nursing to relieve the pain of that person. And these were the words that St. Catherine said, Never in my life have I tasted any food and drink sweeter or more exquisite. My response is that's vile and disgusting and she's crazy. Anyone else? But maybe she's not crazy. Maybe she has so opened herself up to the work of the Spirit in her life to form and to shape her that her only preoccupation is the betterment of someone else than herself. Is there someone that comes to mind for you that you just think is crazy? Out there, a little too spiritual? Have you considered that they may just be letting the Holy Spirit work in their life and in their heart? I think our mocking can also sound like, well, that's just bad theology. That's just a wrong interpretation. And listen, we do need to consider bad interpretations and wrong theology. But if we're true, to, true if we're honest, we're all wrong in our theology somewhere. And who's not to say you're wrong in whatever instance comes to mind? And the truth is, there are deeper roots to our mocking than they are crazy or that's bad theology. Deeper roots like fear of the unknown and the uncomfortable. Arrogance that we know better than someone else. Maybe even insecurity 
that if someone else experiences the work of the Spirit in their life in this way, a way that I haven't, what does that mean about me? Can I tell you why I mock sometimes? Why I question sometimes? And, and to be honest, it's, it's not questioning or mocking, it's actually avoiding. Do you know why I avoid the work of the Spirit in my life? Is because I'm afraid that if I let the Spirit work in my heart, I'm afraid if I open myself up to the work of the Spirit, then I may have to face my deepest shame, my deepest insecurity, and my deepest sins. And I'm not sure I'm ready to deal with that. Because I like to have a picture of myself that's a lot further in the Christian life than I really am. I like to to put on an image for you and for those around me because I like to be held in high regard and seen as strong and seen as put together. And I am afraid of actually being weak and dependent on someone or something. That's why I avoid the work of the Spirit in my life at times. Why do you? Why do you avoid the work of the Spirit in your life and in your heart? In our text, Peter is beginning to sense the arrogance, the insecurity, the questioning and the mocking. So he begins to speak. Because he does not want the people to miss what God by his spirit is doing in this moment. Peter wants people to open themselves up to the work of the spirit in their life. So he says, listen, they're not drunk. It's like the morning. And he begins to preach. And I want you to listen to what he says. This is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. God's spirit is for all people. God's spirit is not racist or sexist or ageist or elitist. He is for everyone, everywhere, for you and for me. And so I don't know the reason you're avoiding God's spirit in your life, but can I tell you, whatever sin or shame or hurt or pain that is, God's spirit is for you. He wants you. He desires you. He is pursuing you. There is no obstacle too big, no sin too deep, no struggle too difficult for God's spirit to enter in and overcome and have his way in you. He's for everybody. And then Peter begins to tell the crowd about Jesus. That Jesus lived and he did mighty works. And according to God's redemptive plan, Jesus was crucified. And then Peter proclaims this in verse 24. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
Death could not hold Jesus down, and death cannot and will not hold you down. And Peter, conveying this truth, he begins to quote King David. And he says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Do you hear the good news embedded in that? Jesus does not forsake you in your sin or in your avoidance. He does not forsake you to death. But he will actually enter into those moments and he will lead you to life, to joy. And Peter ends his sermon by saying, don't mock or question the mighty works of God because those works were the promise of the Father, his Holy Spirit. And listen to the people's response. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were moved. They were convicted. They were caught up in a beautiful and compelling story. What is your response? What is your response to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you question God's spirit? Do you mock God's spirit? Or will you be moved by God's spirit? Because what happened at Pentecost is one of the most important events for the people of God as a whole ever in history. But here's my question for us this morning. Is as Pentecost happened in you? Has it happened in me? Have we opened ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Will we be cut to the heart? Will we be moved by God's Spirit? The people in our text were. And listen to what they did next. Now they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is like the easiest application text ever. It's just right there in the text. They're asking the same question we are. What shall we do? How do we open up ourselves to God's spirit in our lives and in our heart? And listen to Peter's response. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how? What's the answer? Repent and be baptized. Let's focus on repentance for just a moment. And, and just so you know, repentance is not something that just happens one time at the beginning of the Christian life. It's something that happens daily and over and over again. And repentance is often misunderstood. We sometimes understand repentance is our promise to God to do something about our sin. I call this I will repentance. Right? We kind of say, God, this is the last time. I promise I will never do that again. I will find accountability. I'll go to church tomorrow. I will read my Bible more. I will pray. I will find a mentor. I promise. I will overcome this sin, struggle, doubt, insecurity, or fear. 
But what if repentance is not promising God that you'll do something about your sin, but it's saying to God that I can't do anything about my sin? This is I can't repentance. God, I can't. It's too hard. This is impossible. I can't bear this alone anymore. I can't say no. I can't overcome my anxiety and depression or self-hatred. I can't overcome my addiction, my anger. I need you. God, help me. I can't do this anymore. You know, my first response tends to be, I will repentance rather than I can't. Because at times, I think I can actually overcome my sin or struggle or difficult circumstances. And sometimes I even wonder to myself if I would rather lead myself to sin than have someone else bring me to freedom. Why? Because it's hard for me to be weak. It's hard for me to be vulnerable, and it seems like it's almost impossible to say, I need or I can't, even if it's God. But here's the good news for me and for you from Scripture. Second Peter, God is patient towards you. Did you know God's patient towards you in your sin and in your hurt and in your difficult circumstance? He's patient because he does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The psalmist says, God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. David cries out in Psalm 51, God delights in truth. God delights when you say, I can't. Because that's what's true. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So how do we open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? By repenting. By saying, God, I can't. I can't do this. Because repentance is not something that you promise to God, but repentance is a gift from God that you receive, that he gives to you. And the promise is repent, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So do you want more of the Holy Spirit today, and tomorrow, and the next Repent. Name to God your I can'ts. Now and each day moving forward.